0: Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Wendy Gonzalez, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the CEO of Sama, which can be found at sama.com. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Appreciate being here, Doug.
0: Absolutely. Well, so let's start off with a little bit of a backstory. Tell us about yourself
1: uh sure well i would say i'm a one i'm a i'm a i'm a mom uh a, a wife a cook a skier a snowboarder there's a lot of things that i i would describe myself as probably uh right uh even even a, a head of a ceo but um yeah i am i grew up in the uh seattle washington area so i'm the child of immigrants my father came to the us uh one of the first kind of international um engineers for boeing Um, I went to school in the U.S. I went to school uh, in the area to the University of Washington. So if anybody is listening or watching football right now, our team is doing amazingly well. (laughs) So I don't want to jinx it, but I'm hopeful we'll be in the national championship. Uh, But uh, after that, I um, joined a consulting firm. Um, So I joined Ernst & Young and I spent 10 years there um, through the acquisition um, or the, the merger with Capgemini um and after about a decade in consulting uh i wanted to get closer to making impact right I, I wanted to like be able to feel like i could sort of affect change um not just consult my clients on it so i left uh to uh the enterprise so i worked for a couple of public companies and different um it leadership roles uh then got the startup bug so i kept kind of kept getting smaller and smaller and i was like well i think i'll just co-found a company <laughs> so did that with uh with a a close colleague and actually a former client of mine, um, so we built an IoT SaaS startup, and then I transitioned over to Sama about eight years ago.
0: Tell us about Sama.
1: So Sama is a really um, unique company. Uh, so we are a social enterprise. Um, I had uh, and we're a certified B Corp, so that means that we okay. have purpose Good. and profit mm-hmm. um, as part of our business. And yeah, it's interesting you ask, uh, Doug, because how I came about, and I, I told a very long-winded introduction, um, but um, it's kind of what found me here at Sama. Um, so, you know, child of immigrants, I, my my husband's a zero-generation immigrant. We both kind of really felt incredibly lucky to sort of, um, you know, be where we were at, right? The opportunities that work and created for us and our families um, has been amazing. Uh, he's an, He's a sales executive, And, uh, you know, we, we ended up living in the Bay area. We, we raised three kids and, you know, beautiful Los Gatos and it's like, okay, this is like a bubble, (laughs) Like you know, nine out of 10 cars are like Tesla's like, it's just not like the way the rest of the real world is. And certainly not at all. Like how we grew up, which was with a lot of hard work and quite frankly, some luck and some people also mentoring and looking out for us that we were even able to get into the positions that we're in. So as I was, um, you know, in the throes of my startup where it was just so intense, you know, so many hours a week. And we just crossed this like threshold of, of 10 million ARR, right. Where we actually had, you know, real revenues. I was like, what are we doing? Like, what am I doing this for? Like to create this cool software that's just going to make these companies more efficient. And I kind of had a little bit of a, what can we do to show our, our children, you know, that, that, um, you know, they need to be part of the community and kind of be citizens of the world. And, um, you know, cause we were doing like volunteering on the weekends and, and then, you know, it's kind of had this epiphany where it's like, we put so much time and energy into work. Is there a way that we can combine the two? So, uh, so that was kind of the discussion I'd had with my, my husband, we had three young children and then, uh, actually my father passed away unexpectedly. So it happened, you know, suddenly, and at that point in time, I was like, "What? What am I waiting for? Like, why? Why would I not, you know, start to do something that I think is more meaningful?" So yeah, so I left that. Um, I left that startup, and I joined a nonprofit. <laughs> so Sama is a nonprofit at the time, um, and uh, I joined it because I felt like it really encompassed all of the values that that I held and that we've been trying to teach our kids as, as a family, which is really that you got to level the playing field if you want to see you know action in the world um then you need to 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 you know take the purposeful steps to affect that change which for sama is the purposeful hiring of women and youth in underserved communities so they can sustainably move themselves out of poverty by uh creating jobs and experience in the digital economy so yeah i did a whole like kind of um I wouldn't exactly say it's a 180 because a lot of my experience in technology and consulting kind of was the exact experience that was needed to run this business. But, um, yeah, it was it was uh, kind of a bit of an epiphany where I could combine um, passion for social change and, you know, uh, poverty alleviation with uh, with technical skills and leadership.
0: Interesting. (laughs) I have a similar path. I, I left the practice a lot for 22 years to pick, and got my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies and became a peacemaker. And then in 2010, with my colleague, Laurel Coffer, we founded Prison of Peace. And we've been working in prisons all over California, training lipers and long-term inmates how to be peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence.
1: That's amazing.
0: Same thing. I love it. Well, you I know, love it. That's it, so it, great. It, that's the, I mean... That's something that I think a lot of people miss. I think a lot of people chase the dollars and they wonder why they don't have any meaning in their life. Well, that was, I think,
1: I think that's, yeah, well, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt um, Doug, but yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. It was kind of like, we were sitting there going, you know, wow, we're really working hard for, for this. And then it was, it didn't feel as meaningful. and, And when you start to sort of integrate, well, what are the things you're trying to do for your family and for, for for, for me, it was all about, okay, well, how, how do I kind of show our kids that, you know, when you, when you, you leave a place better than you, than you found it, how, how do you sort of demonstrate those different values? And it was like, well, okay, wait a second. Here's this company that, you know, believes that talent is distributed equally, but opportunity is not. And, and so Sama means equal in Sanskrit. Um, and that's what we do is we level the playing field by purposely hiring, not on the basis of job experience and on, you know, your college degree, But the whole idea is, is that um, people in underserved communities have the greatest barriers to employment, just kind of like recidivism, right? Right. So it's really difficult. And it's like you have this perpetuating cycle. What happens if you're just this really smart, you know, kid, young person, right? You're, you know, you, you happen to not have won the birth lottery of growing up in Los Angeles, California, but are in Islam and you're, you're, you're great. You have so much talent and capacity, but you simply lack the opportunity to do that because you can't afford to go to college. You don't have the network, and it's really difficult to get a job if you have no experience and no degree. And so it was this idea of, of providing digital upscaling, and it really conveyed um, to that point uh, how the sort of values that that we really wanted to, to to see in our community and act upon could be could be done, you know, in a in a in a global fashion, and and to basically be able to also kind of show our kids are like, Hey, when we say these things, we walk the walk, <laughs> which is, which is, uh, you know, acting on this. So yeah, that was a big reason why, well, that is the primary reason why I, I joined. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a really fun run. Social enterprise is really different, um, than, uh, regular business. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been an amazing ride so far.
0: Tell, tell us a little bit more about Sama. You, you, you're hiring at risk youth, uh, and, people from dis- disadvantaged backgrounds and what exactly are you doing with them?
1: So we, we are an AI data company. So mm-hmm. our, our goal and how we really got started was um, we want to, you know, if jobs are scarce in many parts of the world. So a lot of our work is in Kenya and Uganda and, it, you know, getting a job is, is difficult, right? Because there's a scarcity of them, but through the digital economy, right. Jobs that, you know, um, are going to be from other parts of the world, people could actually gain gain employment. And the digital economy is where, the you know, a huge amount of jobs is going to be created in the future. So it was really around this idea that how can we provide, you know, skills uh, for the jobs of the future and and then provide the, you know, go beyond training and actually have full-time employment benefits, et cetera, because not only can you put dollars in people's pockets when you pay at a living wage, um, it, you know, allows people to move into safe housing, um, have medical insurance of, you know, vacation days, sick leave, and all those other things that provide security for people to develop skills, uh, but they get the job experience. So uh, that way, you know, the ability to then go and get another job, right? So we're a bridge employer and another job and another job is much easier when you actually have that experience. So um, that that has been our... um, our, our thesis. And that's, um, we, we are certified B Corp. Um, we do a copious amount of, uh, data collection. And that's what we've seen is that, you know, through getting not just, um, you know, employment, you're not only getting income in your pocket, you're actually getting the skills necessary to either go back to have enough money to go back to school or to go to a higher paying job. Um, so you, and, uh,
0: so you're working with, you're working with young people in Africa,
1: mm-hmm.
0: other places or just Africa?
1: Um, Africa, we we did in our past, we'd run programs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, as well in different areas that, that had economic uh, challenges that was more focused on um, kind of the gig economy um, because it was uh, that that's that's what we focused our U.S. programs on um, in East Africa. It's all around full time employment in the formal economy. So um, the there is roughly in Sub-Saharan Africa, um, it's pretty it's pretty, pretty staggering numbers, but 86 percent of uh, the working population works in the informal economy in sub-Saharan Africa. That's seven out of eight people. Right. Informal economy is doing day labor, you know, at a construction site. It's like making snacks and selling them. It's selling secondhand clothes, you know, at a, at a, at a local, you know, um, you know, kind of flea market as an example. And the challenge there is that, you know, one is average income is less than $2 a day which is below the World Bank, uh, you know, World Bank stand for poverty. But beyond that, you know, you don't work, you get sick, <laughs> you're, you're not earning any income that day. And the ability to then um, parlay that into a career is 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 pretty difficult. So that was our concept was formal employment. So you go into the office, you're doing digital work, um, you're building technology skills. Um, you may stay in technology, you may go and, and do something else, but you are building all of these skills that are not just technical skills but also soft skills, right? Professionalism, coming to the office, communication, you know, conflict resolution, uh, things of that nature.
0: Hmm. And so you've got a you're you're based in in you got an office an office in Uganda?
1: Uh two offices in Uganda, um, two offices in Kenya. Uh, we also have offices in Montreal. Uh, I'm based here in the Bay Area. We're virtual in the Bay Area, but we used to have an office. Um uh, locations in costa rica so we have um a whole team because of, it's a software platform and basically where this all started was around um human judgment so as you can imagine from a mission standpoint um we're hiring and we're not hiring with pe- expecting people to have you know degrees and previous right. working skills so we started with human judgment which was everything from like scanning business cards to doing you know like basic data enrichment for for companies um and then it transitioned, um, and this is this is where I came and transitioned to artificial intelligence. So we started working with companies like Microsoft to build, um, to, to provide the um, uh, structured data that, you know, like the Xbox is built on. Because, you know, in the olden days of um, computer vision, you know, you don't want to see like a chair and think it's a human. You need to be able to have like uh, uh, clear, like you need to be able to structure um, data for the for the AI to to be able to um, you know recognize patterns, learn, and be effective. So that's what we've transitioned into, and we we have a pretty pretty interesting pathway, which is we became a profitable nonprofit, um, and then we knew knew we needed to um, basically build uh, and invest more in the technology because this work is not just a human in the loop, but it really needs technology because there's so much data that's out there. And uh, we incorp- uh, transitioned to for-profit. Uh, but in doing so, one, we immediately became um, a B Corp. So we became the first AI data company to be a certified benefit corporation. Um, and uh, on top of that, our nonprofit that we spun out of is our majority owner. So the idea was, okay, you know, if we do well and this business is able to create value, then the greatest beneficiary of all is our nonprofit. Um that then has a mission to start other businesses that give work
0: that wow. help create employment in underserved communities. That's amazing. how and how's it working out?
1: <laughs> it's been a uh, it's been quite a ride. so yeah, we went through the venture funding route. um we have uh, you know built out engineering teams. we've we've got thousands of people uh, you know working for us right now in east Africa. and it's been it's been an um an incredible ride, but uh, one that's pretty tough, like having, a triple bottom line means that the way you make decisions, um, what you need to do to grow your business, everything needs to be aligned and integrated. But it mm-hmm. may not be the logical thing to do. Like when inflation went high, um, and inflation and like for example, COVID really affects people at the bottom of the pyramid. Right? You can't come to work. You that those those uh, that income is something that your family is depending on um, in, inflation increases can make a huge difference, um, for, um, for, for, for individuals, uh, is counterintuitive, but we've had to do, you know, twice a year pay increases, which are counterintuitive to the bottom line you know, <laughs> of, the, of the business, right. Uh, where it's like, oh, okay, this is like, you know, really a decision we need to make, but we have an objective, which is to pay a living wage. Right. right. And so we are we're, we're uh, sort of sitting outside of market, you know, if you will, or above market for for where we are paying, um it's part of our social mission. Now, all of that lends itself to really strong retention rates. and so our our resources stay with us longer. That means they're more qualified at the type of work that they do. Um, you know, it, it leads to a whole bunch of things that that um I think are really exciting about social ownership It's very hard, but you you have to find a way that it, those longer term investments really integrate to your business plan and that, you know, you can create value. It just sometimes may be, I don't want to say counter to like short term financial objectives, but that's where sometimes the rub comes in. But um, it leads for a very interesting
0: workday. <laughs> you, you must have some really amazing stories of people that have come into the company that have been transformed.
1: Oh, incredible stories like, you know, I was just I was just in Nairobi uh, and I met this young woman who um, was uh, selling um, secondhand clothes uh, to make ends meet. Uh, she she heard word of mouth about our company. She joined. She uh, uh, became an associate. She had enough money to um, go back to school. She, uh, brought her sister into the, you know, her, her, she said, Hey, you know, why don't you go check it out? Her sister came in, went through the training, uh, pass join. They, through their income, built their parents, a home, um, up country. So their retired parents now have a place to live. They're paying for the school fees of, you know, their siblings, um, and, and nieces and nephews. You know, I met another, uh, young man who, um, grew up in the slums um, and he joined our company. He went back, he got his degree. So this, the, the income, um, and we also have a scholarship program and things like that, but the income and experience um, allowed him to, to go back to school. And now he is teaching STEM courses at his local high school in the slums. Um, So there's just like, it's really amazing. And I, I think that's, that's the whole goal is to basically, you know, create financial independence and build an ecosystem so that's kind of our, our motto, which is give
0: work, not aid. Just- yeah. Sometimes I I always ask my guests what gets them up in the morning and gets them excited. And it's stories like that.
1: Oh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. It's like, OK, we're working on like the coolest technology in the world, you know, like self-driving cars, surgical robots, like, you know, virtual thinning rooms, all these things that are right. very cool related to, you know, artificial intelligence. Uh, and we're working to make the te- technology better, more effective, less uh, bias free to have a human in the loop supporting the validation of that those AI models are working. and we're changing one life at a time. So it's but, like all right, that's pretty cool. like <laughs> something I could get something I could get excited about
0: <laughs> absolutely. So what is it what is it that's unique about you that you bring to the table, do you think that makes all this work?
1: Yeah, gosh. um well, Aside from what kind of drew me here. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about sort of how this relates to me personally and then, and then, uh, sort of professionally, but yeah, from a personal standpoint, it was being the beneficiary, uh, as, as a kid, right. Gr- growing up in, uh, in, in Seattle of the opportunity my dad had for work, right. Like it created the opportunity for every, you know, for my, my brothers and I to, um, you know, without without him being able to do that, we, you know, he worked many jobs to get his degree and like, you know, got here uh and allowed us the opportunity to have access to, you know, good schools. We got a good university and we're we're all all doing just just great, just great now. Right. So I think it was that sort of, you know, value of of recognizing how important that opportunity is. And a lot of people just don't get that opportunity. And and if you have the ability to affect change, you know. We, we owe that right to our, to our community, to, to, to the world. So that was what personally was um, very inspiring for me because it's about financial independence. It's not about telling people what to do or where to spend. It's about giving the tools, right. And the opportunity in a very purposeful fashion to create your own destiny and to, um, um, you know, recognize that, that we, we live in a global economy. Uh, now on the professional side, I was delighted that I had a skill set that was actually really relevant to this which is um most of my career has been on digital and technical transformation right so how do you take disruptive technologies and help enterprises transform their businesses so back in the olden days it was like erp systems you know things like that like was it I first cut my teeth on and then you know it was around data analytics and then it became big data, federated data systems, then it became, you know, internet of things. And so um, this, you know, progression of how do you leverage technology to transform the way you work um, has kind of been in my DNA. And and for this kind of work, um, you need to not just be a pure software engineer and understand, you know, everything about the technology, but our core basis, including our mission is the human in the loop that you need the human in the loop to help build the CI to help validate it. And so having the combination of, uh, technology or software and services was actually a benefit in this case. Whereas usually people kind of go down one path or the other, but we are truly, we truly are, um, sort of a technology enabled solution or service, um, can't do the work purely, uh, with humans, um, Uh, And, and we believe that the best pathway towards developing AI is not to ignore the human in the loop, like pretend it doesn't exist and that we're in the singularity and you can automate it out, but actually to embrace it and to optimize the human in the loop, um, you know, bring, bring more value out of your data and more value out of the human in the loop, which I think, especially with generative AI and everything else is actually critical (laughs) to validate things are transparent working as you
0: expect. It is, And, and I mean, I study human emotions. Uh, in the neuroscience of emotions, amongst many other things. And that's one thing that AI will never be able to replicate. And all decision-making, all human decision-making is emotional. There's no such thing as rationality at the neuroscientific level. So keeping the humans in the loop is really important because otherwise AIs will will never be, they, they can be great assistants, but will never. they'll never create anything really new because they've got to work on past data. So, and where do you get that spark of genius? But through our emotional intuitive processes that spontaneously occur in the human brain, which I don't think that will never get replicated.
1: I am, I, I think that I- exactly where, where roles and jobs may change, you know, I think there'll be more curation, there'll be more focus on creativity in those combinations. And I think that's why you see like everybody who talks about AI or companies who are deploying it are talking about it like it's a co-pilot. Well, I think that's, and that's, that's because, you know, there, there should be this. And I, I think we're going to see, you know, we are seeing this through, um, regulation, right? So there's the EU AI policy, the Biden administration just, um, you know, delivered an executive order like right, Thursday or Wednesday. Um, and I, I think it's around not only do you have to have transparency and how the AI is being built and particularly for sensitive areas like financial lending, right? We've all heard the stories yeah. of like the disastrous, like Amazon recruiting engine that used inference to determine that women could not be software engineers because there just wasn't enough of a population, right? I mean,
0: companies <laughs> have gone a lot
1: smarter since exactly. then, right? Like there's 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 much... uh I think better, you know, protections in place, but that point of like, Hey, you're never going to think of every scenario. Um, you, you need to have transparency in how you build this to understand where the data provenance, you know, like where your data has come from, how it's being structured, um, knowing that it's been validated for for sensitive things like financial lending, policing, surveillance, you name it. Um, uh, but, but then, you know, be beyond that, you know, beyond that, uh, that, that there's sort of a a certification or some sort of external body that's actually, you know, checking on it because some of these applications are so large and pervasive, like, you know, when has self-regulation really ever worked? <laughs> like for any industry. So it, it, at some point in time, I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting changes. And that's that's another thing that I like about this job is that like I think that the the whole goal is to create like I really believe in diversity. We're all like, you know, Part of our experiences, Graham, you know, you you have a lot of. You you we're all kind of part of. It's difficult to separate yourself completely from um from your work and and how you contribute as leaders. So I like to surround myself with one people that are smarter than me. <laughs> That's very important. Uh, but two people with uh diverse backgrounds, whether it be gender, race, ethnicity, experience, as well, because. The more you do so, you're going to get different points of view, and I think AI is kind of the same way, right? If you've got the same type of people that are kind of in a garage, let's say, like in Silicon Valley, thinking up what the world's most you know pervasive technology will be, and there's not any diversity included in that supply chain. Where, where do you think you're going to end up, right? right. Like
0: exactly, exactly correct. Yeah. So you said a, a couple of things that got per, per, per my interest. One, one of the things you're doing with with the young people that you're bringing into your business is you're teaching them professional skills like communication and conflict management, things like that. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting because like, if you think about like the, in, you know, in the informal economy, whatever people might be, be doing the, the skills to work in the formal economy are going to be, well, it's, it's a different environment, you know? you have to show up from nine to five, right? You've got, you've got to show up to, to work. You've got to be on time. You've got to check in. You have performance reviews. You need to be able to get coaching. You know, um, you our companies are these really amazing, you know, enterprises that are relying on us to deliver mission critical applications. So the expectation of, of both performance and coaching and results has got to be there too, right? It, it's not just like, hey, you know, come in, we'll train you. And like, Hey, there's this job that pays. It's like, actually, no, we, we want you to build skills. And you, at the end of the day, it is, it is a business, right? We have to deliver something that's valuable. Mm -hmm. And so uh, part of, of that is, is of course the technical skills of like getting on the computer and, you know, we have a chapter on, on, on mousing and like, you know, like how to, how to manage a computer and like digital literacy skill sets Um, of course, and much more advanced things like how do you interpret 3d lidar, data right and infrared data and all these other things uh unstructured data that we work with um but you know when you're talking about hey what is working well what's not working well you know what is the coaching what is the performance oh gosh i missed you know this deadline things like those all require communication skills and um we do these uh surveys um for people cuz we we track positive outcomes right which is you know hey if you leave like if you leave to a higher paying job like that's a good thing that's a, like that's like a a win for us right so it's, it's in the win column um we do these these surveys between what are the skills that kind of helped you get there as well as we do some research we have a uh impact ME team that also does research that says in the areas we work within if people go back into the local economy what you know what skill sets are required and so we found in that intersection professionalism you know, issue resolution, conflict management, being a big component, like the number one soft skills, um, and then of course the technical skills of you know being really familiar with data and with the computer, uh, because most like something like over
0: half of the people stay in ICT. What's so interesting to me is some I run into so many IT people who shy away from the professional skills, the interpersonal skills. They're fr- it's like they're afraid of them, and I think it's great that you're putting in a training component that is rounding out your people so that not only do they have the hard technical skills but they also have the the personal skills so they can talk to each other they can that's what this is all about listening with leaders so they can listen they can have disagreements but not and and come and still work through their their, their challenges in a civilized respectful way
1: it's really powerful exactly it's a huge thing and actually if you take a look at like well we work in these regions but we 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 uh they have like you know kind of like what do employers care about most surveys and we have a bunch of data there as well and yeah people employers care that you can communicate that's right communicate effectively courteously professionally it's an important part very important part of what what uh you know an employee does
0: yeah absolutely i mean we see a lot of lip service given to it her here in the united states but very few companies actually spend the time to invest in the specific kind of training that's going to move the needle. So it sounds like you guys are found some good training stuff that is um, effective.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh it is effective, and it I mean it is a unique situation too. So like we also do financial literacy courses. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ninety nine percent of our people like it's the first time they've had a bank account. So right. we we have a bunch of stuff that kind of spans the gamut that may may not like look like it's part of the uh, traditional um, training path, but it is all part of, um, you know, this, uh, this social mission, which includes like, Hey, you know, got like money in your pocket and vacation days and benefits. All right. Like savings and plans and, you know, sort of, how do you, you, you think about this to basically transition from thinking about what each day looks like to, to really a career. Right. That's and kind having of having a horizon thing.
0: out over the, Having a horizon out there far enough that you got to be thinking and planning it and thinking nice. ahead.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. All right, one more one more question, Wendy, and I'll let you go. What's one thing about yourself, other than that you're a skier and a snowboarder? I'm a level three certified ski instructor. You should come oh, down skiing with me. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> uh, what's one Not thing? Not that good. But I love it. <laughs> yeah, I did that
0: for a long time. Uh, had a lot of fun. What's? I still ski. I ski when I'm. Our, our local resort is China Peak, which is right in central California. It's just on the to the west of Mammoth by about 50 miles on the on the west side of the Sierra. So it's about 40 miles from here. Um Amazing. I go from try to ski two days a week. So one of the reasons why I live here.
1: Oh man. Good for you. <laughs> See I'm I'm jealous. I, uh, I know you gotta drive uh, all the way to Tahoe. That's maybe that's part of part of my little known fact. Yeah. So before, you know, working remote was like a, a thing, you know, um during during COVID many years ago. Uh, when we were getting ready to, you know, we had our first child, and we we're like, okay, do we buy in San Francisco because we were living in the city? What do we do? We actually took this leap of faith with our two day old baby and we moved to Lake Tahoe. So, really? we moved to, talk to you. <laughs> so that I could do kind of what you, <laughs> Jeez, which you yeah. do on a regular basis. And so, um, yeah, we used to put up like 35, 40 days a, a year skiing, which was like a season, which is amazing. Uh, and my old boss at that time is amazing. He'd be like, it's like Friday afternoon. He's like, it sounds windy. Are you on a chairlift? I'm like, yes, I am. You know (laughs) what the routine is on Friday afternoons. Um, yeah, we ended up having, uh, two of our three, three kids there. Uh, so all, all little kids, uh, hanging out in a winter wonderland. So the idea of going back to that sounds amazing, but eventually, uh, with work, it was just too difficult to <laughs> to not be in the right. the you know the heart of it all. Right back in the valley, so we moved back. But uh, that is one little known fact. That and uh, uh, pro- probably aside from skiing, which is a huge family pastime, the next uh, pastime is wine. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, make a lot and good stuff. And good stuff, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. In my in my former days as trial lawyer, I I represented uh, growers and Mintners. And it'll be so oh, fun. amazing yeah. and i mediate i'd mediate a bunch of those cases too and it's so fun to walk into a mediation and they've got these bottles with no labels and they're doing a wine tasting and the the the, the um the vintners always want to pay for the volkswagen price and the growers are always saying no you paid you're paying the cadillac price and you got a cadillac wine vintner says this wine sucks because your <laughs> grapes <laughs> suck <laughs>
1: That is a pretty difficult one to get around, right? It's like, <laughs> how exactly, you know, manage that? Oh, but, it uh,
0: comes down to my, dollars and cents, and they they work out a deal with my help, and you know, and they are a little tipsy when they walk out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's part of my
0: in my life as a mediator. That's part of what I do. <laughs> love it, love it. So much for your time this afternoon, Wendy. It's been a been a real pleasure interviewing with you.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Doug. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely.
0: Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dugnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next show.